Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Our text today for this third Sunday after Pentecost is from the Gospel reading, Mark the fourth chapter. Mark writes this. A great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling up. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the pillow. And they woke him and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And this is our text, dear friends, in our Lord Jesus. His name is Rembrandt Harmanzoon van Rien, but we all know him simply as Rembrandt. Of his work, of his paintings, one has noted no artist ever combined more delicate skill with more power and energy. Then I suppose these two characteristics, the delicacies of detail and the the expression of energy, these two then naturally collided when Rembrandt took up painting the scene from our sermon text today, the storm on the Sea of Galilee, the painting's called. Perhaps you've seen the painting, maybe you even recall hearing of the painting before. Striking. Centered in the, centered in the painting, perched high, high atop a cresting wave is, is the fishing boat, yet only half visible to you, the onlooker because the other half disappears behind this tall wall of water, ready to pummel the small watercraft. The rope that once secured the mainsail is pictured flying wildly up in the air somewhere above the boat, while the sail, torn and ripped, whips in the air, useless in the violent wind. And at the rear of the boat, there seems to be a futile attempt by one of those on board to hold the tiller, to hold the the steering stick firm and keep the rudder fixed. Or you might look at it and say the guy's only holding on for dear life amid all of the chaos. It's a fascinating painting by Rembrandt. But remember this too about that masterpiece of Rembrandt's. While it would on the whole seem rather accurately to depict the, our, the scene from our sermon text, the scene of that stormy night, one would examine the painting more closely and he'll notice what appears to be an error in the painting. When you look carefully, you can you count all the men in the boat. The boat there, there are in fact fourteen pictured there in the boat. But as we consider our, our text from Mark, even that from Matthew and Luke as well, we might surmise that there would be thirteen in the boat. The twelve that the Lord called, just a chapter earlier in Mark, the twelve disciples He called to be His apostles, and Jesus too. But that makes thirteen, not fourteen, as Rembrandt has pictured here. But if you look carefully at all those individual faces of the different men in the boat, you'll find that it was indeed no mistake at all. It was meant to be. There were those twelve. There was Jesus there sleeping calmly in the stern. The fourteenth, the fourteenth, you look carefully and compare the face of that fourteenth to all of the self-portraits that Rembrandt had painted. And you'll find that Rembrandt put himself right there in the boat. He put himself there with the disciples, with the Lord, as one has observed. He put himself there as if to say, I've been there too. I've been there too. I know what it's like to be tossed about by storms over which I've got no control at all. You know that too. That 14th face could, could have just as easily been yours or mine, we know fear. 
We know what it is to be afraid. We've been there too. Maybe it's been for you on rough waters or in rushing waters somewhere when the, when the rushing tides or the waves or the winds were far more than you counted on and you began to, fear began to wash over you, doubts began to blow you about so that those rushing waves or the pitching waves or the switching winds outside of you became quite a parallel picture of the storm raging inside of you. Maybe it was that kind of storm. But then again, too, maybe you know the fear from being tossed about in a different kind of storm, a financial storm. When predictability gives way to unforeseen economic currents, when unexpected gusts come out of nowhere and you're left there not knowing whether you're going to sink, whether you've got what it takes to swim out of the wreckage, for some, maybe for you, you know the fear of lab tests awaited, or lab tests returned with some diagnosis you know little to nothing about. Or perhaps worse, one that you know all too much about. Because it's one that's ravaged your family and the peace and security of your family before. Maybe you know and you have a fear for the church at large. As it's barraged by legislation or by activism. False teaching on all sides. Fears that make you feel like you're right there in the boat with the disciples, caught in the storm, afraid. You don't have to have been right there in their boat with water on your face to know what it's like to be in the same boat because fear is fear. Fear is fear no matter the storm. Sometimes the fear that washes over us, it does so because life's great storms take us by such surprise. Surprised because they rise up in waters that are so well charted by us. Now that was the case for the disciples. Remember, these were seasoned sailors, these men, many of them fishermen by trade. They would have spent their life out on that lake, the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias it was called, Lake Gennesaret. They knew it. They knew this sea like an old temperamental friend. They knew just how quickly, because of the unique geologic and, and climatic conditions of the lake, they knew that evening tempests could and that they often did whip up, rise up on that lake. They'd navigated these waters before. They probably had been caught out in a couple of the storms themselves. They knew these waters, and they knew they knew these waters. But that's not so unlike us either, is it? We're no strangers to the waters that we navigate daily. No, to the contrary, we're quite comfortable in them. Knowing that at times storms are going to rise up, they're going to toss us about a little bit, but we've seen them before. We know what to do. We know we're sturdy enough to weather them, right? Perfectly able to handle it ourselves, aren't we? So we think. So we think until that great storm arises. The great storm, mega lane is the Greek word in our text today, mega lane, mega storm. So we think until the mega storms in life, uh, in life arise and we're tossed to and fro like never before, storm tossed. So what do we do? Well, impulsively and instinctively, naturally we reach down for strength within, from within ourselves it's naturally what we do, and 
And knowing the, their collective experience of all of their seasoned sailing hands on deck, I can imagine that's exactly what the disciples in the text would have done for today. Soon, though, they'd find it was all beyond even their collective strength. Now, we too might, at times, we, we might grab the tiller. We might grab the tiller and seek to hold on to the rudder, trying, though trying in vain, trying single-handedly to direct the course of our days. And we do that, don't we? We do it. We reach within ourselves. We reach down to find strength within ourselves. We do it when, for instance, instead of committing our course to God's care and His wisdom and His power, to stop the storms when and where he would choose to stop them. No, instead, so often we'd rather, we'd try to clear life's stormy skies with the power, for instance, of our own positive thinking. And how many do that in our day today? They've been convinced it's a life philosophy many hold to. In fact, one has dubbed it the secret. Convinced so many are that if you just think positively enough about something, it'll... It'll blow it away. It'll blow over. You can chart thereby your own course in life, clear your own skies. Any positive thinking power obviously didn't work for the disciples today. And in the end, like them, we'd find ourselves not, we'd not find that, we wouldn't have found that we weathered the storm. The storm weathered us. Because the greatness of the storm proves greater than you and me and greater than us together. You know the feeling. It's an out-of-your-hands kind of feeling, out of control. So up to their necks in fear. Their boat taking on water, coming apart. You know the feeling. What's the disposition of those disciples? We could sure use a word from you now, Lord. They see him there sleeping in the boat, resting calmly in, in, in quiet stillness. We could sure use a word from you, Lord. Maybe you know that feeling too. Sometimes it would seem as though he who watches over Israel does slumber and does sleep. And you'd like to hear from him. You'd like to have him address your problem, calm your storm, at least express and voice his concern and his care. The fact is, though, that you have God's word. You have his assurance. You have his promise, just like those disciples did, though they forgot it. You have it, just like they did. God's words that assure you that consider God is your refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble, indeed, right in the boat with you. A very present help in trouble, the psalmist says. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the mountains be carried into the heart of the sea. He's saying, even though those mainstays in life, those mountain-like, rock-solid, secure things that you've counted on throughout life, even when these things come crumbling into the heart of the sea, and they will, if they haven't yet, they certainly will, even though the psalmist says its waters roar and are troubled, Yet God promises you can be still and know that I am God. His promise to you. Or what about this promise of God who says, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you. 
count on it. He says, I will deliver you. Now, it may not be in the time or in the way that you'd expect, but he promises he'll deliver you. In fact, it might even be by delivering you completely out of all of the storms of this life, right through the final storm of this life, death. Taking you to heaven's promised haven. It may be that way that he delivers you, but he'll do it. Or how about the words of the psalm that you recited earlier this morning? Just as those disciples certainly would have recited in their years of experience, the psalmist writes, they reel to and fro. They're at their wit's end. You know the feeling. And they cry out, we sang to the Lord in their trouble. And he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that the waves are still. He guides them to their desired haven. Those are rock solid promises. They're yours. Just like they were theirs. It's just that when the winds start to howl and the waves swell to disciples, though we may be to disciples with eyes full of fear, without faith, the wind and the waves, they appear far bigger and stronger than God's promises to us. Martin Luther comments on this all in a sermon that he preached on the same account. And he says this, And know it well. It's beautiful what he says. He says, had they had faith, it would have driven the wind and the waves of the sea out of their minds and pictured before their eyes in place of the wind and the tempest, the power and the the grace of God promised in his word. And faith would have relied upon that word as though anchored to an immovable rock and would not float away on the water. And they would have pictured as though the sun shined brightly and all was calm and no storm was raging. For he concludes, it is the great characteristic and power of faith to see what is not visible. To see what is not visible and not to see what is. Beautifully said. They had his promises, just like you do. They had him very present, just like he's promised to be for you. But faithless instead, they challenge his care. We do that too. Don't you care I'm sinking here, Lord? Don't you care job, finances, health, grief, depression, loneliness, overwhelming guilt over what I've done? Whatever the wave that pounds your boat, don't you care, Lord, that I'm perishing? What a thing to suppose. What a shameful thing to suppose. Why do you think he allowed the storm to blow into your life in the first place? Was it not because he cared for you? Was it not because he knows well that he who trusts in his own strength certainly will perish eternally? Do you not care? They asked. As those same disciples in those days and in years after they watched Jesus go to the cross for them to pay for their eternal punishment of sin in the shadow of that cross, as those same disciples would have thought back on that night and that, that, that night at sea and thought about their question to him, Lord, don't you care? They must have felt so small. So ridiculous to ever have suggested such a thing. And and friends, as we behold in our minds Christ Jesus on the cross for us, 
dying hell's death for us, for our faithlessness, for our cowardice. Christ on the cross for us in our minds, but now now Christ risen and with the, the marks to prove it. Beholding him in our minds, any hint then in our minds amid life's winds and waves of Jesus, don't you care, should make us feel just as small, just as ridiculous. For friends, can anyone consider the self-sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross in the raging storm of Calvary and conclude anything but that God cared so deeply for this world in trouble? You know scripture, you know the promises. God loved this world so that he gave his only begotten son right into that storm of our sin. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes and trusts in him in whatever storm shall not perish. No, but shall know the great calm, Megalane, the great calm of eternal life. And you know what else scripture promises too. He who spared not his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he then not with him freely give us all things that we need? That's a promise. And it's yours. And so as scripture says, cast all your cares upon him. For scripture tells you, promises to you. Because he cares for you. He cares for you. And so cast your cares upon him and make no mistake. He still is the master of every wind and every wave, literal or figurative. Still saying to each and every one, this far you may go, but no farther. No farther can you go in the life of my dear one. I won't permit it. Make no mistake. But neither make the mistake of thinking either that that if my faith... If my faith is just enough, life storms will go away. That's not so. That's not so. Think about it. In Jesus' humanity, Jesus' faith in his Father's care was perfect. And yet the storm raged all around him, didn't it? But he slept. He slept in quiet stillness and in peace. How could he do it? Why did he do it? Because he believed his Father's promise. The promises that would cause the psalmist to write, I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. This evening, or whenever it is on this Father's Day that you go to take your rest, amid whatever it is that troubles you, remember who's greater than all of your troubles. Remember the concern for you that compelled him to the death of his cross. Remember that he awoke from that sleep, that death, to still and silence your most eternal and and deepest fears. Remember who it is that's in the boat with you. In the stern, of course. Where else would Christ Jesus be? Because it's in the stern where the rudder is that steers the ship. And in his time, he'll pilot your ship to the great calm of heaven. Remember, so that then you too can both lie down and sleep in peace, knowing that Christ Jesus makes you dwell in safety.
in his name. Amen.